If we were to do a Twitter poll, or for old school David Letterman fans, if we were to compile a top 10 list of the, the most famous miracles of Jesus, like there are, there are many that would easily make all of our lists. The resurrection, right? I mean, that, number one, it's going to be there. Also, the paralyzed man. You know, his four buddies brought him to Jesus, lowered him through the roof. That iconic story. That, that might make some of our lists. The, any of the three occasions that Jesus resurrected someone from the dead also would make the list. Lazarus, right, coming forth. Quite a miracle. It would jump out there. Feeding the 5,000, which is a couple of pieces of bread and some fish, the multitude, they would be on your list. I mean, there's a lot of things that would be on your list. Either time Jesus walked on water, um, I'd like to see you do that, so it should make the list. A lot of things, speaking and calming the seas, also just a radical miracle. Whatever your top 10 list might look like, or if we were to do a poll of some type, I can almost guarantee that the miracle we're going to look at this morning wouldn't make it. It's one of those miracles that, that you're reading through a gospel, you read about it, you're inspired by it, you think it's kind of cool, and then you just move on. It doesn't really just jump off the page at you, but it should, because the miracle we're going to see this morning, with probably the exception of the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus' healing of the leper, I think is probably one of the most important, significant of all of the miracles Jesus ever did. It's, it's worthy of our attention for the deeper level of meaning that exists. Let's just kind of dive in. Let's introduce ourselves to the story. Mark 1, beginning with verse 40. We're told, Now a leper came to Jesus, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. You see how it opens? Now, a leper. In order to understand the significance of the miracle about to take place, you have to understand the significance of the man's request. But to understand the significance of his request, you have to first understand his plight. Now a leper. What is leprosy? Leprosy today, it's known as Hansen's disease. It's a bacteria, Microbacterium leprae. And what this bacteria does is it infects and destroys a person's nervous system. Today, though treatable, the disease is still considered incurable. 15 million people worldwide are diagnosed with leprosy. There's 150 cases a year in the United States. We think of leprosy as a, a disease of times past, but it's still very active today. The bacteria. The bacteria prefers warm temperatures. So it initially infects a person's skin before moving to appendages, like your hands, your feet, your nose, your ears, etc. The symptoms of leprosy. Understand that whatever area or part of the body that this bacteria resides, leprosy slowly begins to destroy your nerve endings. It produces numbness, an insensitivity to pain, to touch. It can, in the end, 
cause disfigurement. Let me just take a moment. We're going to kind of get a bit medical here, but just to understand now a leper, to understand this leper, let's talk a bit about the symptoms of leprosy, how leprosy develops. And this is all going to an important conclusion. So bear with me. Initially, first, a person will begin to experience fatigue, aching joints. This will over time, be followed by a a red, itchy rash. Some of you are starting to, wait wait a second. (laughs) However, this red, itchy, itchy rash, it, it doesn't stay like that for very long. As the rash continues to fester, you know, no amount of cream or oils you're putting on, it works. It just gets worse and worse and worse. It begins to, to get scaly. It turns white ashen. The the rash then starts to to slowly spread across your skin, producing a body ultimately that's full of of festering sores. Historically, it's been said that a leper at this stage, because of these sores, like he, he smelt so bad that you knew there was a leper by about 150 paces away. It's like you ran over a skunk. You just can't get that smell out of the air. And this is what begins to happen. These sores, they ooze, they fester, they reek. Over time, a person begins to then experience hair loss. Some of you are also thinking, wait a second. Their fingernails, their toenails fall out, which is not normal. If that happens to you, go to the doctor. Over time, their gums begin to decay, starts to loosen, their teeth fall out. Joints tighten, loosening their elasticity. This causes hands and feet to, over time, start to develop a a claw-like shape. Your toes, your fingers, things begin to stretch. You, you, You lose your sensitivity to pain, to touch. Now, keep in mind, one of the misconceptions about leprosy is that limbs ultimately just kind of rot and fall off. You know, like you're walking around, you give someone a high five, and there goes a finger because you've got leprosy. That's not exactly how leprosy works. As you can imagine, and it doesn't take a lot of imagination to place yourself in the moment, as you're growing more and more insensitive to pain, to touch, like accidents happen that you're just totally unaware of. Like you could be walking uh, down a path, you step on a shard of glass. Now, most of the time, we would all stop. I stepped on a shard of glass. My foot's bleeding everywhere. I need to deal with this. And yet, if you're dealing with leprosy and you've lost the sensitivity in your foot, you can't feel it. You could be walking on, not realizing, not only are you bleeding everywhere, but but you're you're filling this now open wound with all types of, of nasty, gross stuff. You'd be out at a campfire, and maybe you're a tosser, a turner. You got a good fire going. You fall asleep, and you happen to roll over, and your arm ends up in the fire. Now, most of us, there's sensors that trigger, I'm on fire. Boom, you're up, running around. But if you got leprosy, and it's advanced, you might not know you've burnt your arm off till you wake up. Like lepers, especially as it developed, had incredible disfigurement. 
beyond that, just not being able to, to feel human touch, right? The, the warmth of, of a loved one's hand or a kiss. Like it's a terrible plight. Now, once fully developed, this bacteria ultimately, it moves to the central nervous system. It begins to work its way through the spinal column, the spinal cord. Massive dis- deformations occur. It becomes difficult to walk. Lepers were known to be hunchback. Their spine tightens up. I mean, by the end, I mean, it's, it's, it's pain. With every step, it's painful. Most of the time, you can no longer walk. You're totally uh, immobile. At that juncture, death is on the doorstep. Now, here's, what the, here's the craziest part of leprosy. That sounds terrible, right? Like, I can think of a lot of other ways I'd like to go out other than that, right? But that's not the worst part of leprosy. That, that's what's incredible. Because this bacteria is slow moving, people are forced to live with the disease for nine to 10 years before they finally die an agonizing death. It's not as though you're diagnosed with it and boom, the clock's ticking. I got three months to live. This is going to be terrible, but it'll be over. No, it lasts quite a while. In Jesus's day, during Jesus's day, lepers, because of all of this, they were known commonly as, quote, the living dead, the walking dead. Aside from that, the emotional, social, and religious effects of leprosy were equally brutal. And all this is to give us some context because we were told, now a leper. Let's get into this man. The religious effects of leprosy. In Leviticus chapter 13, a person showing the early signs of the disease was sent to the temple and had to be officially inspected by the priests. If they were diagnosed as being infected, they were declared unclean. That was their title, their mantra, their identity. They were unclean, meaning that they were no longer allowed to come to the temple. They were no longer allowed to pray. They were no longer allowed to present sacrifices to atone for their sin. They were cut off immediately from God if they were declared unclean because of a a disease. Tragically, the religious leaders believe leprosy was an outward evidence of God's judgment for some inward sin, that a good man would never become a leper. Clearly, leprosy indicated some type of divine judgment, a punishment. The religious leaders in Jesus' day, culturally, you were the walking dead, but religiously, they called the disease the finger of God. Now, aside from being cut off, no longer able to go to church, attend a prayer meeting, make sacrifice. The social effects of leprosy were also just brutal. Now, while modern medicine has discovered leprosy to not be contagious, in the first century, the disease was shrouded in so much mystery that a leper was permanently quarantined for the rest of his or her life. You would go to the temple, in addition to be cutting off from God, you weren't allowed to to go home. You couldn't go pack your things. Following the diagnosis, a leper was was forced to leave his family, his friends, his co-workers, his community. The leper was ostracized from society. To cope with the loss, most of the families, 
if the father or the mother was diagnosed with leprosy, to just deal with it, there would be a funeral. You were dead. You couldn't come back. To help the children cope, you would have a wake. But you're not dead. You're actually witnessing it from a distance. How terrible. You know, in the end, lepers were forced to live as outcasts, often in colonies with other lepers. But then you have the emotional effects of leprosy. Now, though Mark doesn't indicate how long this man had been dealing with the disease, Luke's gospel, and that's important because Luke was a physician. Luke describes him as being, quote, full of leprosy. This means his disease was well advanced when he comes to Jesus here in Mark 1, verse 40, because it's, it's fully developed. These are a few things that we can conclude about this man, now a leper. One, he's already been condemned years before by the priests, and he's been alienated from God. With the conclusion that it was his sin that caused this. He's been judged, he's hated, he's separated. He's forced, also, to watch his wife and his kids move on with their lives. He can't be there. He's dead to them. Additionally, his body, when he comes to Jesus, we can imagine, is a horrific shell of its former self. Claw-like hands and hunchbacked, disformed. The other thing that we can note about this man, now a leper, is that he has zero hope that his future will include anything other than a very lonely, painful death. And yet, and yet, something else we know about him, right? In spite of all of this, we're told this leper does what? He comes to Jesus. Now, though Mark doesn't give us the location of this particular event, from Matthew's account, it seems to indicate that Jesus has just finished preaching one of his most famous of all sermons, the Sermon on the Mount. There's multitudes on the hillside. They're in Galilee. Jesus has just wrapped it up. Things have, have has finished when, out of nowhere, this leper comes making his way through a crowd trying to get to Jesus. Like, imagine for a moment the scene. They thought leprosy is contagious. The law even stipulated that a leper had to stay 100 feet away from clean people, and when he got close, had to ring a bell and declare out, unclean, unclean, so people could get out of his way. So Jesus is here. He's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, just a radical message of the kingdom. There's multitudes all over the place. And from a distance, you hear a bell begin to ring. It cuts through the air. And then you start to hear unclean, unclean. And man, this crowd is parting like the Red Sea. Additionally, because what he's doing breaks decorum, they're hurling insults at him. They're ridiculing. He's putting everyone at risk. Moms are grabbing their children. They're diving over things. They're trying to get out of the way because there's a leper coming through the multitude. Consider the ridicule, the humiliation, the scorn, even the obscenities that this man, this leper faced when he abandoned the normal protocol just to get to Jesus. Also note, Mark tells us, 
aside from just coming to Jesus, we're told that the man came imploring and kneeling down to Jesus. The picture painted in the Greek is one of deep desperation. There's an aspect of, of respect, but there's faith here. Like, this leper, I think we can say with certainty, he didn't care at all what anyone in that moment thought of him. Like, he was over it. This is my chance to get to Jesus. You can ridicule me, you can curse me, but I'm coming, man. I'm coming. He didn't care what people thought. He had counted the cost, but he was determined, right? Determined to get to Jesus. We're also told that as he's making his way through the crowd, the unclean, unclean, as he gets within earshot of Jesus, begins to switch to something else. We're told that the man comes imploring, kneeling down, but this is what he's saying. Look at it again. He says to Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Like the verb tense in the Greek indicates that it's not as though the leper comes up to Jesus and this is a statement of declaration, but rather that as he's approaching Jesus, the tense in the Greek is that over and over and over again, as he's making his way, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. He's at the feet of Jesus and he's repeating this. If you are willing, you can make me clean. This is the cry of his heart. It is a desperate plea. Now, there are a few things that we should note of this man's request. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Like, initially, his request indicates correct priorities, right? I mean, it, it would be a little awkward if he's like, if you are willing, you can make me rich, like, who cares, man? You're a leper. Like, if, if, if you're willing, I can be popular. Who cares? You're going to be dead soon. Like, his chief emphasis, right? Like, he's got his priorities in, in line. Without dealing with this leprosy thing, I got nothing else to ask for. Like, this is chief. This is numero uno. This is what needs to be dealt with. It's been said the leper came not asking what Jesus could give him, but rather what Jesus could make him. His request, you can make me clean. He didn't want Jesus to give him a thing. He wanted Jesus to perform a miracle. It revealed this statement, you can make me clean, that, that at this point in his life, the only thing that mattered to him was being healed from a disease that was incurable. Second thing we, we can note from his request is that it demonstrated incredible faith in Jesus, right? You can. That's what he says, right? It, th those two words, you can, demonstrates a belief. This man was convinced, right? That Jesus had the power to heal him. You can do this. I'm not doubting it at all. You have the power to make me whole. You know what made his faith even more incredible? Is that at this point in Jesus' ministry, you know how many lepers he's healed? Zero. It's not as though this man comes to Jesus because he's caught in word, right? 
on some of the leopard message boards that like Jesus is healing people of leprosy. And he's like, oh snap, I'm rocking that. I need to come to Jesus because he can already do it. No, there's, he's performed miracles, but there's no evidence that he's healed a leper. And yet the man comes anyway saying what? You can do it. No one else can or has, but you can. Like faith for this man, it was the spiritual muscle that connected for him a belief and his action, right? We know he believed Jesus could heal him. Why? He came to Jesus. It's faith. You know, finally, we also see that his request, it revealed the saddest of all realities, really. And there's not a a better way to say it. Though the man, and look at this, look at it. Though he never questions Jesus' ability, you can do this, right? He does question something, doesn't he? There is a doubt in his heart. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I believe you can make me clean, but what I'm not sure about is whether you're willing to do this. Now, why would this man doubt Jesus' willingness? Like, don't forget, the religious culture, Judaism, the law, had condemned him. He was hopeless. His condition was the judgment of God. He was getting what he, what he deserved. He had gone to the temple and received his death sentence. As such, it, it would appear the leper, he knew that for Jesus to heal him of leprosy, that Jesus would have to first forgive him of his sin. And that was something that he wasn't sure Jesus would do. Now, on a side point, it's incredible that this man saw in Jesus not only the ability to heal him physically, but also the ability to forgive him of sins. He wasn't sure Jesus would do it, but he knew if Jesus wanted to, he could. Now, what becomes interesting about all of this is that while this man believed Jesus could heal him of his leprosy, it would appear from his appeal that he wasn't confident that Jesus would reach down and touch a sinner, that Jesus would be willing to forgive. You know, before we continue, it's important to point out that this man didn't have leprosy because of sin. But while that's true, leprosy is presented in Scripture as a picture for sin. Like, it's not an accident that at the very center of the Levitical law, Leviticus 13 and 14, we find the protocols for doing two things. Chapter 13, diagnosing leprosy. Chapter 14, how you declare if a person has been healed. In order for the people to understand the full consequences of their sin, the full consequences of its effects, God did use leprosy as an object lesson, mainly because the effects of leprosy bore and bear so much resemblance to what sin does. Like, think about it. Think think about the three immediate effects of Adam and Eve's original sin. Like, first, sin yields similar physical consequences as leprosy. 
God had been clear to Adam and Eve, in the day you eat of the fruit, you'll die. When you sin, you're the walking dead. And over time, the more and more we walk in sin, the more and more sin does to us, what? Makes us numb. Desensitizes us. Not just to what we're doing, but to people. Like, it's tough to run into an old man who doesn't know Jesus. Because years and years and years of living that way, man, they're grumpy. And they're angry. And they're hardened, aren't they? This is what sin does. Like sin and leprosy, they numb and dull a person's sensibilities. You know, when you commit a sin and you feel that conviction and you feel that dirtiness, you know you shouldn't have done it and you feel something as a result. The more you reject that feeling and go against it, the more you engage in that activity, the more what? You're no longer feeling that way. At some point, you can justify all types of sinful behaviors because sin, like leprosy, dulls us and it destroys us. People that, that abuse drugs and, and alcohol live hard, party. Men that cheat on their wives. Man, you can pick them out of a lineup. Sin is tough. It destroys us. It wears on us. It degrades us. Like leprosy, sin ultimately, it, it carries an immediate death sentence. Born into sin, we're all born to die. And many of us still in sin are nothing but dead men or women walking. And it's the truth. But, but also note that sin yielded similar social consequences. It does this, just like leprosy. It destroys our body, like leprosy, but it, but it has a, a social consequence too. Though created for perfect community with one another, for Adam and Eve, what did sin do? right immediately after it drove a wedge. And then the, the, the results of that sin, it destroyed the first family. Like not all, if, you, if you're like, man, my family is messed up. It's okay, it's just like the first one. And more than likely, it's not as bad as the first one unless you've had a brother kill another brother. And then we can talk about that later. But, but the whole point is like the first family dealing with sin, it destroyed them. Adam and Eve ruined their relationship. Cain and Abel drove a wedge. It was nothing but dysfunction. You know, it's a truth that like leprosy, sin destroys our ability to have real community. Real community, by the way, is only available in diversity. A leper had a community, right? But a leper's community was reserved to what? lepers. It wasn't diverse. It was just lepers. Nobody else. You see, sin makes it impossible for us to enjoy relationships with people who are fundamentally different from us. You look at our, our country as divided, as polarized. Friend, it's not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. It deals with the heart of man. No community can live in harmony when there's sin reigning in the heart. 
like we'll see it next week, that sin destroyed the world. And then God told humanity, right, to scatter. But what brought the nations back together? Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit changed the heart of man. And then we see the gospel going forth in all different tongues to the all different nations that we find in the church where men have been changed, the ability to look beyond skin color, whether you're a Democrat or Republican or Republicrat or Democrat. I, I can't believe I got that out smooth. I, that we can get over our issues. That young men can have relationships with older men who appreciate their youth, but young men who appreciate the wisdom. You just, you don't see it anywhere else in the world. What you should see in the church. Just look around at this room. There's not a chance any of us are hanging out with one another apart from Jesus. It's the truth, man. It's the truth. We cross so many barriers to meet here together. And that's a move of the Spirit. But sin does the opposite. It makes it impossible. But you know, ultimately, like leprosy, what does sin do? It might ruin me. And it might destroy my relationships over time. And it does. What destroys a marriage, really? Sin. Selfishness. What destroys the relationship with parents and kids? Sin. But, but beyond it all, what does sin really do? You go back to the leper, the first thing that happened, right? Unclean, and you're separated from God. Sin alienates us from God. It separates us from the person of God. Adam and Eve sinned, and what happened? They were removed from the Garden of Eden. A leper forever denied access to the temple. He was separated immediately from atonement. A sinner is condemned to death and then hell with no hope. Sadly, the law. What could the law do for a leper? What can the law do for a sinner? Only one thing, condemn. It's the only thing. The law can only tell you how, how bad you are. It'll never provide the remedy for healing, for restoration. And it's with all this in mind that we go back to the leper, his appeal. He's coming to Jesus. If you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. It's as though this man is saying, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, that I'm separated by my sin. And though I, there's not a doubt in my mind, I'm totally confident that you can heal me. I, I just, I don't know if you're willing. Like how interesting it is that so many people today, and maybe you this morning, affected by this disease of sin, you don't doubt that Jesus can heal you, but what you are skeptical about is whether he would want to. I can't tell you how often I hear this, Zach. Yeah, I, I know Jesus died on the cross. He did that for my sin, but, but, but maybe for your sin. Like, you just don't know what I've done, man. <laughs> Jesus wants nothing to do with me. I mean, you were a pastor's kid. You went to church. I, I get it for you, but for me, I had an abortion. 
I got drunk. Got a DUI. I hit someone. I'm angry and hateful and hurtful. I'm on my third marriage. Jesus, he can do it, but just not for me. I'm too far gone, Zach. And that's a lie from hell. Because look at what happens. Verse 41. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing. Be cleansed. And as soon as Jesus had spoken, we're told immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. I like how it starts, right? Because it speaks to the heart of Christ. Then Jesus moved with compassion. The multitudes are cursing him, yelling at him, telling him to go away. This man's doubting if Jesus is willing, but Jesus sees him, this shell of a man, destroyed by leprosy, and he's moved. Compassion. Literally, he's emotionally moved. He's stirred. Like something happens here where Jesus is gripped by what this man says in the deepest part of his being. The word compassionate literally means your pain and my heart. It's not empathy. It's much deeper than that. And it's compassion. Jesus saw the man, but he saw a man who was more than a leper. He saw in this man the tragic plight of all humanity affected by this disease called sin. I hope you realize that in the leper, Jesus saw you and he saw me. And yet we see here more than just compassion, right? We see action. We're told Jesus stretched out his hand. He touched the leper. He said, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he spoke, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Now there are two immediate results of this man's encounter with Jesus. First, immediately the leprosy left him. Note that. Immediately, this man was no longer stricken with this disease. And that moment, he instantly experienced a complete and total healing. He would go, later in the chapter, be sent by Jesus to the priest, who would declare him, after examination, to no longer be unclean, but declare him to be clean. And the moment this leper encountered Jesus, his relationship with God and his access through the temple, it was reinstated because the leprosy left him. He would be allowed to go home to see his wife, to see his kids. For the first time in years, he was able to reconnect. He was redeemed and restored. An encounter with Jesus gave him life when he only knew death. Hope when he only knew despair. Joy when he only knew pain. Acceptance when he only knew rejection. When he came to Jesus, he experienced love when he only knew hate. But beyond the leprosy leaving, we also note that he was cleansed. Two separate things. You know, though Jesus had freed this man from leprosy, 
him being cleansed, it, it indicates something else that's absolutely amazing. It'd be one thing to be for the leprosy to leave, right? The leper comes, he comes to Jesus, Jesus touches him, the leprosy goes. That's great, but he's well advanced. If the leprosy just left, like that's, that's a good thing, but he's still a shell of a person. He's still carrying all the effects. But this phrase that he was cleansed tells us that not only did the leprosy leave, but Jesus fully restored him. He's completely cleaned up in the language. This is what it indicates. He didn't just free him from the disease, but the full effects that this disease had had on his person was removed from his body. I am convinced that in this moment, he is fully restored. The leprosy goes, his back straightens up, the wounds heal, his fingers gain back their elasticity. He starts to feel again. The breeze and the sun, things he hadn't felt in years. Life fills his life. The experience. Like, I hope you know this morning, and this is so critical, Jesus died to not just free you from sin, but to reverse the effects that sin has had on your life. It's not this that Jesus has come so that you can be saved in heaven, but that those wounds in your life because of sin, those, those pains, those insecurities, those hurts, Jesus wants to equally heal you of those things as well. It's not just a golden ticket to heaven. He wants you to have life now, the life that sin has robbed you from. In Luke chapter four, Jesus, he stood up, he opened to Isaiah the prophet and he gave his mission statement. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. If you were brokenhearted this morning, Jesus wants to heal you, to proclaim liberty to the captives. If you're mired in sin, trapped in sin, Jesus wants to set you free. Recovery of sight to the blind. He wants to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Amen. Now, if you carefully examine the order of events in just these few verses, you're going to notice that something very significant emerges. You might have missed it. Look at the text again. Just, just notice how things are ordered. The leper came to Jesus, right? Jesus saw his condition. Jesus is moved with compassion. Jesus reaches out and touches him. See in the order? Then Jesus spoke to him. After touching him, I am willing to be cleansed. At which point, then the leprosy left the man and he was healed. Now, why is that order significant? First, notice what Jesus doesn't say. Like he doesn't tell this man that he needs to clean himself up before he comes to Jesus, right? Hey, you go work on your issues and then you come and then we'll deal with the rest. So many people have that misconception. You see, this amazing story illustrates that this morning you're invited to come to Jesus exactly the way that you are. Knowing this, that Jesus wants to change you, to make you something new, 
That Jesus is not only willing to forgive, but he's willing to reach down, to touch your life, to identify himself with your condition so that he can heal you. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, we're told that if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to do what? To condemn us? To pile on? No, to forgive us. And then what? Notice the text. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To forgive and then to cleanse. But note, confession and forgiveness always comes before cleansing. Also note from this order, something else that happens. Let me set it up this way. In the Gospel of John, you'll discover, and it's kind of a classic thing, seven I am statements, right? The seven I am statements of Jesus compiled through many of his sermons. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. These I am statements. But I believe that there is an eighth I am statement that might carry with it the most radical presentation of the heart of Jesus. You're the leper. Think for a moment. Get yourself back in the scene. At great risk in ridicule, you've done something bold, but you're desperate. The world can't do anything to fix this. Religion can't do anything to fix this. A person, he can, if he's willing, but it's worth it. And you came and you nailed, you kneeled. Imagine the impact of first the touch. That was not expected. Like at that point, Jesus is unclean. Why would, why would you touch a leper? I, I can imagine the disciples are like, this is going to be a PR nightmare. <laughs> like it's public. Everyone's seen it. This is not good. Jesus hanging out and touching lepers. How dirty to stoop down to that level. But he touches the man. But imagine what happened in his heart when he heard three words ring out. And I think they were so dramatic. He feels the touch of Jesus, and then he hears these three words, I am. I am what? I am willing. <laughs> How did he know that Jesus was willing? How did he know? Jesus has reached out. He's touched this man filled with leprosy. Jesus uttered words, but words are words. How did this man know Jesus was really willing? Because Jesus was willing to identify him with him, to touch him, and to cleanse him. You know, the implication of the text is that how was the man, how did the leprosy leave him? How was he cleansed? It was through the touch of Jesus that Jesus took upon himself the leprosy. I've been listening to one, one Bible commentary that knows way more Greek than I do imply that, that that was the miracle, that literally people recognize that the leprosy, it's not that the leprosy went away, it's that Jesus took it all, which is interesting, right? 
For in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, we're told, For God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to do what? To be sin for us. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Here's my point. You might come in this morning, and sin is just working you over. And you know Jesus has the ability, but you don't know if he's willing. How can you know he's willing? Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you how you can be assured this morning that Jesus is willing to forgive, but more importantly, to cleanse from your sin. And here's why. It's called the cross. It's at the cross that Jesus made sure the world knew, the world infected by sin, to know that he was willing. Because on that cross, he took the sins of the world, the sins of your world and your life upon himself. He touched you. He took it. He paid for it to let you know he's willing so that you don't have to stay away. We sing the song that, that the, the devil sings the age-old song and he beats his condemnation drum. That what often keeps us from Christ is not an intellect. It's not an acceptance. It's a heart thing. Is he willing to do this? But the cross says yes, loudly. He proved it. Now the question is, like the leper, will you come? Will you come? Jesus allowed himself to be nailed to a cross so that you know he's more than willing. So, Father.